welcome to another wonderful, special, absolutely curricular, this is core to the curriculum of Normandy FM, episode of Normandy FM. As always, I'm your, one of your co-hosts, uh, Eric Van Allen, alongside Kenneth Shepard. Ken, how you doing this week? Oh, just fucking living the dream, ready to talk about Egg Boy. I, I'm so ready to talk about dreams and, and fades and veils and Egg Boys. And of course, you knew we could not do this episode without having the one, the only, Natalie Flores on to talk about Egg Boy himself. Hey, what's up, what's up? It's the love of my life. I'm here to talk about the love of my life. I'm ready. We we have done already a fair bit of Egg Boy talking because uh, some behind-the-scenes info, we recorded our... PAX panel this last weekend, which Natalie was a part of, along with Ken and myself, uh, Ash Parrish and Josh Silverman as well. Uh, that'll be going live on September 13th, uh, Monday, September 13th at... Sunday. Oh, God. Uh, yeah, Sunday. But that's... I I panicked because I forgot about time zones again. Is it 6.15 Central? Pacific. 6.15 Pacific? We're yeah. all late? Uh Okay, that's my other panel. It's on at 6.15 Central then. Okay. Uh, <laughs> on September 13th at 6.15 Pacific time, uh, our panel will be airing on the PAX online schedule, uh, so you can head over and watch it. Uh, Ken, I imagine we'll probably be doing some sort of, I don't know about like a watch party, but we'll probably be hanging out in the PAX chat and talking and yeah. such. Yeah. Uh, can have a little bit of a fun with it i'll pop some popcorn over here and we can all have a little night <laughs> of watching and talking some dragon age and if you miss it we will be uploading the full uh audio from that panel onto the podcast feed later on and that version will also not be cut for time uh there will be some cuts obviously because there are parts where we had to break and be like uh-oh, we're running out of time. Maybe we need to structure the way we talk about the next few things so we don't run out of time. We can still talk about Solus. But uh, we will be uploading the much longer version of that uh, talk later that night. Uh, so look forward to that. It's it's pretty good. Uh, most, I'd say I didn't... I ended up not having to cut as much as I thought I would. Uh, just most 30 was, minutes. Yeah, just 30 minutes out of a 90-minute talk. But, um, I mean, a solid, let's say, like, five of that was moments where we were like, okay, well, we need to, to stop and break and talk about, like, uh-oh, what are we going to do for time? But also, other stuff was more... There were some tangents we got into that were not necessarily about companions, but were about, like, hey, this system in dragon age does this thing and let's talk about that for a little bit and it was like interesting discussion but it was not relevant to the companions in any way uh and when i was looking at things to cut <laughs> that it's were very hard to, to people... talk about all those companions in an hour like it's yeah. hard it might be hard to talk about solace in the next hour or so so we tried to cram all those main characters from Origins, Awakening, Dragon Age 2, and oh, Dragon Age Inquisition. So it was, we had kind of like a nearly impossible task ahead of us. So props to Eric for cutting that like by 30 minutes. That was. I, I forgot we did Awakening talk. I think, I think yeah. the shortest amount of time we spend on characters talking is tied between like Awakening, where we're just like, oh yeah, this character exists, you know, put him in this tier. 
and uh, Dorian, who we all just immediately unanimously <laughs> yes, agreed yes. with Skyhold and yes, moved on. Skyhold, yes. <laughs> um, that was maybe one of my favorite parts of the panel. Next to uh, <laughs> Natalie, Ken and I were talking earlier this week, or this week, this weekend, whatever. It's been a long few days. <laughs> and uh, we have not been able to stop thinking about the the part where you talk about Zevrin uh, and... <laughs> <laughs> his status in i guess what you'd call the like fucking the elf hierarchy yeah, he's the like elf McDonald's. Hierarchy. Yeah. yeah and this episode we're like at a five course morally ambiguous problematic restaurant so i'm excited <laughs> to talk about solas uh, well where there was a unanimous agreement that kind of boyfriend dorian was skyhold for my own boyfriend it was a very tumultuous road to that conversation and that ranking so maybe this episode will just unpack all of that i mean just to talk about solace like i think solace is the character that is maybe most rewarding in a second playthrough and some of that Mm -hmm. is for obvious reasons that we will get into in a later portion of this podcast we will be splitting it up where we will be talking about the initial story missions and companion quest stuff up front and then for all the the big spoiler talk i will make a big declaration of this is spoiler talk time and that's when we will start discussing all that is solace in the dragon age world but i mean for obvious reasons but also just for like minor stuff i've found that of all the characters I've been enjoying learning more about Solus this time through because I think in my original playthrough, I kind of just saw him as, um, is nerd the right word I'm looking for? <laughs> like, sure. He was, he's very much like, uh, you know, he's, he's always reading about books. He's always talking about, he, he doesn't want to talk with people. He wants to talk with spirits in the fade and all that kind of stuff. And I wasn't really into that. I wanted to just go do you know inquisition hijinks and destroy castles and stuff like that so i i never really like got on with him and i think the second time through you're compelled to learn more about him because of the revelations at the end of this game but also uh i think he's just a fascinating character to talk to because of how much he reveals about the world of dragon age and how Mm. much he divulges that that teaches you about that stuff what has your experience been like Ken? yeah i i kind of had a similar experience the, the first time through i mean not that i ever actively disliked solace but i think i mean you might remember this when we were you know like we were working at a site where everyone was playing this game it was kind of like a universal thing everyone was like oh i love all these characters except for solace and then um so i think because of that like because he kind of goes under the radar for a lot of people initially. I think that kind of adds to late game stuff and, you know, realizing that there was more to this person than ever met, met the eye. Um, so I think in subsequent places, I had a sort of similar thing where, you know, we kind of didn't really jive throughout the first time I played, but kind of as this is my third playthrough of this game, I've, as, as I've played it more, I've kind of got to the point where it's like it's not necessarily a student mentor type thing, but like my, my character's a mage, so like we are talking about mage things and kind of like exchanging knowledge and uh, you know I'm get I get really invested in talking like doing all his sort of investigate options. Which interestingly enough, he's like the only character that every time you investigate 
the stuff they talked about, like, you know, when you ask for more clarity or just more information, you get slight approval points. Like, so he clearly enjoys that side of this, like, mm-hmm. having that um, person to kind of, like, pass on knowledge to and, like, discuss things with. Um, so, like, at the point, you know, before we move forward, like, I have gotten to really respect him as just sort of, like, this mage character that my mage kind of is able to just kind of, like, freely sit down and talk about these things with. Because, like, you know, conversely, I can go talk to Vivian, who we don't get along, and we have these, like, very diametrically opposed views on the world and magic and everything. And then Dorian, that's, like, a whole different kind of relationship, because it's not necessarily about magic, it's about, you know, our relationship with each other. So Solus is, like, the kind of, like, safe haven to explore magic and the fade and, like, the, the relationship between all of that and just, like, the world as we know it. Now, Natalie, tell me a little bit about your history with 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 souls and stuff. Like, I guess you've <laughs> you always played as. I mean, obviously, you played as an elf to to romance him, but did you ever play mm-hmm. as a mage as well? Uh, yes, a mage almost every time, or at least like my first time. And I've played a mage several other times. I think I've done a rogue, like a dagger rogue once or twice in an archer uh but i've never tried a warrior um so i am definitely like a mage person through and through so he was kind of like perfect for me just because like in origins i was an elven mage and i really missed being an elf in dragon age 2 even though i could Mm. still be a mage and so when inquisition came around and i got into dragon age around the time that There was no Inquisition information besides a few pictures, uh, but it was sort of, like, at the time, Solus was one of the few companions that had been revealed, so, I mean, like, I've established, um, I'm an elf fucker, uh, so (laughs) I bang the elves in every Dragon Age game. That is my religion that has my dogma that is my one true mission in life and so i i settled for mcdonald's everin in origins moved my way up to fenris beautiful wonderful tragic elf and then now like at, like i said at the time when i finished getting into dragon age back then and, and i can point out the specific exact picture the only picture that we had of solace back then um, but I was like, oh, shit, that's ugly. I'm gonna have to fuck that, though, because, like, my principle is, like, elven men. I will bang the elven men. So, like, I, I was like, oh, like, that's disappointing, but oh, well, I'll just keep my eyes peeled to him. Um, and, yeah, and, and so standing solace from the beginning was an odd experience, um, <laughs> I think I'll talk about it a little later because I want to get into how I knew about the revelation before the game even came out uh, Mm. because I saw something that, like... I'll get into it later. It wasn't, like, an intentional spoiler, but it was something that, because of my combined knowledge of Dragon Age and its lore, because I just love Dragon Age lore so much, I had immediately picked up, like, oh, no, you're kidding me! Um... But yeah, it was like really exciting. I'll get into that later. But uh, yeah, that's like 
that's sort of my experience with Solis. I was always, I was fated to be with him. He was fated to be with me until the moment when, you know, he does all the other shit and then just kind of breaks my arm and all that. But, yeah. And so <laughs> I've played Inquisition like five times and I've romanced him five times because I can't romance anyone else because I'm, I might be a hoe, but I'm a loyal hoe. Uh, <laughs> and, yeah, and so he never... He never flew under the radar for me because by the time that the game came out, I knew that he was a lot more than he mm-hmm. seemed. And I knew exactly mm-hmm. what he was, actually, um, even though I hadn't gotten it confirmed. But I suspected it. And when I was pre right, it was like, oh, love that. So uh, he never flew under the radar for me because I was destined to bang him. I, I think maybe this is just hindsight talking but even playing this game the second time i'm starting it's like almost like you're watching the prestige for the the second time and you're going like (laughs) how did i not notice that there was something amiss about this character because it's (laughs) like hey here's solace we kind of found him out wandering around poking around fade stuff you know the, the coverage for Solus so was many so other mages do in the mm-hmm. series of dragon age <laughs> the coverage uh, for Solus was so interesting uh, prior to the game's release because everyone I, I remember this very distinctly because like i said i had already decided i will fuck the ugly bald elf so i had my <laughs> eyes peeled on him like forever um so the coverage of the characters so the marketing of dragon age inquisition like you know before it had been released they sort of focused on a character by character basis so um sometimes uh, like every now and then they would release a character bio or like Mm. the order was like cassandra and then like maybe there was like sarah in the middle and dorian and all these characters they were introducing them one by one and they would release like a page of character info on them Uh, and you would gradually see these characters appear in the trailers that had that were coming out and so for me and for every other person it was like this very little group on the bioware social forums that stands soulless um (laughs) like pre-release and so it was this thing where he was the very last character profile to be released and like i remember (laughs) uh waiting for his character profile and just kind of like theorizing with everyone like oh is it gonna be today are they releasing his this week and, and like i remember back when i when we thought it was gonna be soulless it turned out to be fucking black wall and so i remember that like i was so anxious over it that i had a tummy ache like when you have a crush it was so dumb mm-hmm. i was like oh my god like ah. i'm like so anticipating like his character profile so week after week i would wait for it and i remember that he was immediately so like i knew he was going to be so much more than whatever he seemed to be that was unremarkable because his character profile was very specifically this is a very ordinary elf you came across this elf who has absolutely nothing to do with anything he's just very normal he you know he's not involved in anything suspicious and i was like like this is way too normal like all the other characters Dorian and Vivian had these, like, elaborate introductions, and, like, they really established their character. Meanwhile, Solus was defined by his ordinariness, and I thought that was so mm. suspicious, and so did a mm. lot of other people. Um, so there, there was a group of us, uh, very small, but there was a group of people who noticed early on that he was a lot more than he seemed, just because of what the hints that were being dropped, and also just how kind of how the game is very much, like, Oh, like, 
like it treats him very ordinarily and mm. in and of itself that's kind of suspicious off the bat at least for me and also the fact that in trailers he also showed up uh, at the ends like he his first real appearance was at the big gamescom where they showed um uh, like the most notable trailer and they decided to uh do this gameplay section in the I forgot the the name but like the the fortress um, not Adamant Fortress but the one in the swamp ish area. Mm. Uh, uh, yeah. But for for right right. It's the it's the one with all the undead that come up out of the water. Yes 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 yes. Yeah. Um, I totally forgot what the name is, but uh, that gameplay video, what took place there, and that was the first time that we saw Solus, like, in action. Meanwhile, the other characters had pretty much already all been shown in combat or throughout the trailers significantly, and it was, like, this thing that immediately stood out. I don't even remember what the original question was. I'm just talking about Solus, like, nonstop, and okay, I'm just gonna gonna move on. (laughs) Uh, I think... Another thing that that really makes Solus interesting, though, besides obviously all the revelations and stuff like that, which we can get to, uh, but I think just in general, his uh, the, the stuff that we learned through his quests about both the Veil and the Fade, and like not just there's there's a line that that I think is drawn in inquisition specifically which is kind of like solace's whole beat especially if you are an elven character which is the difference between what ancient elven culture was actually like and what the dalish interpret it as and uh the more like the further down that quest line i've gone and i've got to say like i'm really glad i chose to play as an elven character this time around because that stuff is so fascinating to me um (laughs) to the point that i and probably converted to team play elves all the time uh, because <laughs> yeah. bet- between playing city elf in Origins and playing an elf in in Inquisition as well, I'm just like, oh, there was this whole world of fascinating culture and world building and all that that I was missing because I was playing a you know silly little vanilla warrior. <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> I want I want more of that stuff. So. Yeah, so much um, of Inquisition is focused on elven lore, which is my mm-hmm. absolute favorite. I am an absolute nerd for elven lore, and I get the disappointment of a lot of people because it's like, not only do you have a story that prioritizes the lore behind a specific race, but you also have this character that it is very intrinsically tied to the main plot that you can only romance if you're a very specific mm-hmm group like if you belong to a very specific group of people like female Mm -hmm. elves and so it's like on one hand it's like oh well you got rewarded for that and also i mean elves are like so oppressed you might as well get like the dick and like you know just like you know get all this like magical wonderful lore (laughs) come on treat yourself bitches but also it's kind of like oh well i i totally get why why people why some people will have an issue with how sort of gated the soulless romance feels right. for a lot of people. But but so much of it makes it feel so much more personal, though. Like, yes. I, I was catching up on some of it today, and, and we can talk about the romance scenes at the end here. I mean, at some point, we do need to talk about actual quests and stuff. <laughs> but um, 
so much of the stuff that you learn in like the soulless romance like this the origin of the dalish markings and stuff like that mm-hmm. like yes that's a huge reg- like revelation that just changes a lot about how you view the dalish and how you view elven culture and draws really interesting parallels between like as solace notes between the ancient elves and modern Tevinter and stuff like that but it's also like an extremely personal moment between you and solace that like that was never that didn't feel like it was ever going to come up between my original inquisitor my my dude macklemore mage inquisitor (laughs) and solace who did not get along like that so I, I don't know. It's it's like it's kind of a bummer that that lore gets gated, but at the same time, like I it think it, it feels speaks so much more personal. Yeah, yeah it it speaks to how powerful right. that stuff can be um, in the right circumstances. Like I honestly, I've come away from a lot of Souls' stuff thinking like this is some of Bioware's greatest That's... aspirations for dragon age yes. realized like yes. what it wants to do how it wants to tell its story how it wants to have a world that's so much larger than a single story can tell and all that um a lot of the stuff around solace is that realized and realized well yeah because um, ultimately i mean we all know that at the end of the day it's less choices than the illusion of choices throughout games like mm-hmm. this but it's things like this that make you feel like an actual like you are a part of this universe and that your character is this real person because and of course it's not easy to implement but i mean you have you want to feel like the ways in which you navigate this world are different depending on your identity and who your character is like Mm -hmm. It can be done in superficial ways, like when you go to the Winter Palace and you have a harder time talking with the guests and getting approval as an elf because everyone looks down on you for being elven. But that's sort of like that, that kind of that's where the appeal starts and ends, right? But this is something much more meaningful and significant. This is like, oh, like this is an entire part of the lore and story that i do not have access to if i don't play as a specific type of person and if you do play as that specific type of person it really feels so personal and it makes it feel so realized and like Mm -hmm. you're playing this unique character that is shaped by their relationships and the ways in which they walk through the world as an elf and that's going to be very different from the ways in which you walk and navigate through this world as a dwarf or as a human or as a canary. Um, mm-hmm. And it's really interesting just when Bioware leans into that in more substantial ways. And I think Solus is just, like you said, a primary example of that and also of well, like Bioware's, some of Bioware's best writing, I feel. Just like the nuance that exists in this character and the ways in which he is so deeply tied to not just the main plot of Inquisition, but the world at large. Like, it's something that I think is the goal with each of these characters in some mm-hmm. way, um, that they succeed to varying degrees. But with Solus, it's, like, undeniable that they succeeded very well, I would say. What's the... There's, like, when when Fleawood Mac made the <laughs> album Rumors, and I'm sorry, Nelly, I've just gotten really into <laughs> pulling in, like, analogies and stuff on The pop culture references in this yeah. episode. <laughs> Um, but when they recorded Rumors, which is, like, obviously Fleetwood Mac's, like, biggest album and, you know, was them in the middle of all this turmoil and stuff, 
but the approach was that every song could be a single could like stand out on its own Mm -hmm. and i feel that in a lot of inquisitions characters it's like they wanted every character to be able to have a separate book about them or a separate comic series or something like they're so much of a character that you could have this whole other story about them and you're just kind of seeing the part that they played in the inquisition Absolutely. Um, I think you got something similar with Cassandra, especially if you make her, like, wait, can I talk about that yet? No. Mm-hmm. D- divine. Yeah, yeah, if you make her that, like, that is also another way that you can sort of engage with the world in a more substantial way, depending on, like, your choice and stuff. But yeah, I just, I don't know. <laughs> we should well, probably talk about the quest. We talk about a mission, yeah. We should talk about a quest instead of just fawning over Solus. <laughs> um, because at some point, I do want to have actual spoiler talk about Solus and not dance yes. around stuff anymore. Um, our first one up is measuring the veil, which is uh, kind of a larger quest that uh, Solus has. It like starts out with a very story focused thing, and I believe there are other. Um, artifacts that you can do afterwards that are kind of like his approval building quests and stuff mm-hmm. uh, but this first one um, kind of surprised me because I did not think it was going to have any actual story to it and it did um, where you head over the, the hinterlands and you look into some elven ruins for an artifact uh, that may help prevent uh, tears in the veil and as you head into this ruins you find a dalish mage named Miris, who is a character, as I'm led to understand, from the larger Dragon Age mythos, the larger Dragon Age lore. Um, and she is also, uh, she's fighting a demon, and after you fight the demon and all that, uh, you can choose to work with her to find this this artifact that it seems both of you are looking for. Um... So we kill some demons, we move through some stuff, do some very, you know, Dragon Age stuff, like lighting torches with... We have not talked about that much, have we, Ken? Like, the different classes Mm -hmm. having different abilities or whatever. Um, I haven't really run into it that often. I mean, there's the case of mages being able to light the the Veilfire torches, which Mm. is kind of neat and is a bit of a time saver in one section of the game. But and they, they can also, uh, like, if there's rubble or like something that's been destroyed, they can put it back together, like, whether it's, like, a bridge or a ladder or something like that. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. Like, mages get that. Um, warriors can kind of bust through walls and, and, like, break things, basically. Warriors break things. That's, that's what they mm. do. And rogues can pick locks, and I think... I'm trying to remember exactly how the mechanic works because I ran into this recently, but it's like I think you need a certain Inquisition perk to mm-hmm. unlock the second tier of locks, but there is like a base tier of locks that all rogues can unlock. Um, right. It's it, it's maybe the part of this game where I most felt like, hey, this is where Bioware was maybe trying to make it a co-op games-as-service type game because I can totally see somewhere in the future having a situation like Anthem where you have different classes of character that do different things and so it would be like oh we came upon this place where we can either fight a big battle or we could move this rubble and move around thank goodness we have 
Kenneth 420 Blaze It Naruto, our mage <laughs> character who can do the rubble thing for us and we can get around it and get to that sick treasure. It's got a legendary drop in it. Mm. Um, I assume that some of that's probably in the multiplayer that neither of us ever played. Now, did you I ever mean, play it? Assume. <laughs> I played it once because I was so ready for it. Like I played almost three hundred hours of multi uh, of Mass Effect three's multiplayer. Mm. So oh, yeah. when this came out or, or this was coming out, and I knew that there was multiplayer, I was like, "Oh shit, I'm gonna get ready to just waste three hundred hours up in this bitch." And I played like I don't know two matches, and I was like, "Yeah, no." Not really for me. Something about it didn't click. I don't know what, but it, it didn't. And no. I think most people had that reaction. I would say I think that's kind of the consensus at this point because nobody's, like, people even forget that that's even there unless you bring it up. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm not sure if Dragon Age's combat lends itself to multiplayer right. in the same way that Mass yeah. Effect's combat does. Like, Mass there's Effect. There's no shooty shoot. There's, there's no shooty shoot, but also, like, Mass Effect lets you kind of control things a little bit more if that makes sense and also like streamlines it in other ways because like you have combos that are pretty easy to pull off you know you see somebody floating and you know that you can hit them with a slam and it will combo that power or whatever so it's pretty easy to do that and then other characters can be like i'm gonna put up a turret and stuff like that but dragon age doesn't have turrets dragon age doesn't Mm -hmm. have any of that dragon age is just you run at a character and stab them or shoot them with your magic lasers and that's the combat <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. like like dragon age having just recently started trying to play some of final fantasy 14 um Ooh. dragon age is definitely feels like mmo light style combat like they took an mmo style combat and just kind of scaled it down to make it a little bit more actiony and a little bit less um mmoe but now the feeling that I get is that it's just kind of like sitting in the gray between that. And that works fine for single player content. But I think when you try to turn it into a multiplayer type setting, mm. like, I don't know yeah. if it has the same effect. Maybe they could do raids or something. I don't know. I'm not going to suggest any ideas that could then possibly pop up in Dragon Age 4 and make it not the game I want to play. So. Mm. It's already going to make life <laughs> surface. Like... Um, anyways. As we move through this little elven ruin, we do finally find our amulet of power, and Miris is like, yo, finders keepers, I get this. Um, We have a couple options here. If we are Dalish, we can say, hey, come on, come on, help help us out here, and we can get it easily. Uh, If we have arcane knowledge, we can point out that she doesn't know how to use it, which I think is entertaining (laughs) um and we get it and we can also have solace if he is there which i'm assuming he would be because this is his quest but i guess he could also maybe start i don't think you can start this quest without solace here no you have to do it with solace in your party yeah so so your other option is you could just be like well i'm gonna kill you for it (laughs) (laughs) um that is an option if you choose to do it but uh i do find it interesting that you kind of have this moment here and that the mirror stuff um one very specific like interaction otherwise it's like a pretty unremarkable mission but one specific interaction is that um you can talk with her as uh like you know why are you looking for this 
if you are a Dalish Inquisitor, uh, she'll tell you everything that happened to her clan and all this, all the reasons why she's here, uh, which actually take place in the book The Masked Empire. Uh, if you are not a Dalish Inquisitor, she'll just kind of make something up, and Solas will straight up say in Elvish, like, you lied, <laughs> and <laughs> Miris will change the subject and move on. And, like, that that goes into, I think we were talking about it, uh, see, the problem when we talk too much before the episode starts is I can't remember we talked about this on the podcast or off the podcast, <laughs> but we were talking about um, how there are certain scenes in certain missions, and we'll talk about this in the next mission, too, where if you are an elven inquisitor, you will actually see the text translated and understand and be able to, like, comment on it when people speak in elvish. Yeah. Um that's like another just cool nod that the world is doing to being like hey you don't know how to speak elvish and so these two elven characters like just had this conversation like one of them's like hey you lied and she's like i don't know and meanwhile your inquisitor is just like da, 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 walking around the elven ruins this is neat solace look at this like, it's it's an interaction that playing as a formerly airheaded mage that didn't know what was going on around him and now playing an elven inquisitor who very much sees all the things that is going on around her like that is it's it's just fun this i encourage all of you to play through this game once as an elf because it is the best it's fantastic it is the best elf life forever um the more meaty quest we have to talk about today uh, all new faded for her is one where we helped one of Solus's friends who is a spirit um, escape some captivity and Ken will have some stuff to put in here about too because this involves uh, some bad mage stuff <laughs> some mages up to bad um, so as we learn from Solus when we're talking in some of his companion dialogue he talks about how he speaks to spirits of wisdom and spirits of like knowledge and things like that. And you can kind of be like, aren't those demons? And he's like, well, the fade responds to how you perceive it. And so if you understand the nature of the spirit and you don't have like this corrupted, twisted view of the fade, then you're not going to find demons. You're going to find like the genuine spirits. And, but if you treat them like crap, or if you treat them like you could get something from them, that they're going to present themselves to you that way. Um, so one of his friends who is a spirit uh, has been captured and uh, corrupted by mages and so we need to go help them out so we head on, head on over to the exalted plains uh, and we find a pride demon being locked down by these summoning stones and a mage of the Kirkwall Circle by the way uh, runs up and is like hey uh this this pride demon's going crazy <laughs> we need some help over here like uh you know we we can't handle it for long you better get over there and stab it <laughs> and uh you can pretty quickly just be like hey uh i i know like don't try to talk to my friend solace like we don't know our stuff about demons we know what's mm. going on here yeah it's wild that conversation just because like there it What's that scene? I think it's in Parks and Rec, where like the uh, guy goes up to Nick Offerman's character and is, like tries to offer him to help, like in a hardware shop, and he goes, "I know more than you," and walks on. Yeah, that was exactly <laughs> what came to mind because it was just like you're talking to fucking Solus and the Inquisitor, like a 
like, we're both like clearly mages that know this shit, and just like, oh, you wouldn't understand. No, no fuck you. What are you doing? Like, oh, see, I, I was thinking of a very different pop culture reference there, Ken. What <laughs> I was, I was thinking of the video game episode of Community when uh, Shirley and another I forgot who the other character is walk out of that uh, store after they've murdered the shopkeeper and stuff, and they're holding all this stuff. And the shop like burns down behind them, and everyone else is like, "Oh my god!" And Shirley is like, "Oh yeah, what an awful and unpreventable accident that has occurred. How terrible!" <laughs> and that's all I could think about when this dude was was running up and being like, "Look at this pride demon! It's just out here, and it might kill someone. You should go stab it." I'm not going to tell you anymore about how it got here or why it's here. Because mm. um, like you have that point op- where you're like, "Solus is smarter than you." That's like a yes one of the yeah. options you can pick. Um, and you can have Solas, who, by the way, like, up to this point, we've kind of only seen like nerdy Solas or just kind of, I guess, pensive Solas. But here he goes feral. Is, yeah, this is yeah. pissed off Solas. This is angry. That iconic line, shut up. So um, good. Yeah, it's it's a very sudden. Ch- I mean, this this whole quest, I was kind of taken aback by. I'm used to Solas kind of just being a very not monotone but like has one kind of you know he maintains a presence like he he kind of has a facade on at all times that he is this this character and he kind of has that armor built up around him and then in this moment you see him rapidly oscillate from like you know just complete anger to like terrible sorrow over this spirit and what happens and i was like oh wow solace has emotions. <laughs> Solus has yeah, a, it's a breath off, of emotion. Basically. Yeah, yeah. Um, so after Solus interrogates the mages a little bit, we obviously discover that the mages had summoned this demon and tried to basically bond it to them to be like a bodyguard for them against bandits in the local hills and stuff. And obviously it has gone terribly wrong. And so we are faced with a decision uh, and this is the other cool thing about this. Well, it, it's cool in some ways and not cool in other ways. But um, we go into combat and we can either destroy the pillars that are holding the demon in place, which Sola says will free the demon and allow it to return to being a spirit, or we can just kill the demon. Um, I mean, if you have any relationship with Solus at this point, it would be kind of weird to just suddenly kill it. But at the same time, I had to keep telling my squad mates to attack the pillars because even Solus would start attacking the demon. And mm. I was like, dude, we just <laughs> talked about this. I was I was on board with the game plan. Why are you attacking the demon? Um, mm. So that, it was a weird part where I thought it was cool that the game kind of just put me in the situation and said, like, okay, choose. Which one are you going to do? Uh and then the game was like, oh yeah, by the way, you need to constantly remind your team to attack the target that you are attacking or else they're going to kill the pride demon. Uh, which luckily it's a very, very beefy pride demon, right. so it can take it can take some hits. <laughs> mm. um, yeah, the only, it's weird that like, you, I mean, I guess if you're like a paranoid Templar leaning character, like you maybe want to be like, oh no, I don't trust this. I don't trust you, mage, and your possible solution. Um there's also, like, if, if you start destroying some stones, it starts to kind of break free, and if you haven't destroyed all mm-hmm. of them, it will start attacking you. So, like, if you're... I guess there are some scenarios where, like, it kind of it can make sense depending on your character and depending on the situation, but it just kind of feels mean-spirited 
to do that. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, once I mean, so Ken, I'm assuming you you broke the summoning stones as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Because we're nice people here on the podcast. We do nice things. Mm-hmm. Um, once we destroy the stones, the spirit reverts back to kind of an avatar of itself, and you know, it's it looks all cool and spirity and all that. But it's basically like it's time for me to die, and Solus kind of does some last rites. This this whole episode, I was thinking about Final Fantasy X because first we've got like the Albed connection that I drew between like you know understanding Elvin in certain situations and all that, and then now this is basically Solus doing the sending on mm. on a spirit. Sadly, he does not do the dance that Yuna does. Uh, major opportunity lost there, in my opinion. Yeah, but. I'm going to go edit that together later. I'm going to figure out how to operate Blender or something and edit that <laughs> together. Um, but, yeah, he's uh, he's really tore up. And you have, like, kind of a special dialogue that you can say uh, if you are an elven character where you can be like, I heard, you know, what you said and I agree with the spirit. Like, you did all that you could and stuff like that. Ken, I'm assuming you just kind of had the normal three options. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and after that, you know, Solus uh, wants to kill some people. And I'm going to be honest, and like I streamed earlier today, so anyone who watched knows this, but I did not let Solus kill those people. Because I was mm. like, come on, dude, you're, you're going to feel bad about this later if you kill a bunch of people. Um, editor's note, he would not. Yeah, I was <laughs> going to say, well, he really. Uh, <laughs> in, in, in my situation, I like to think that my my inquisitor is kind of a let's say um cooling presence for solas in some of his more heated moments Mm -hmm. uh and so here Mm -hmm. i was like come on don't don't murder people you you don't want to do this just make them leave or whatever um i can't remember what i did i don't actually remember just because i've played it so many times and each time i've romanced solas and like I am willing to bend over my morals for him a lot of the time, so I don't quite remember if I let him kill the mages. But I probably did, knowing me. (laughs) (laughs) My morals go out the window when it comes to my romances. Romances come first and then being a good person, so. (laughs) I don't know. I can't tell y'all. That's a mystery to me, and it'll remain a mystery as to whether I allowed him to do that. (laughs) Uh, Ken, what about you? What did you choose? Uh, I let him kill them just because I, like I've said on the show before, like my Inquisitor's not particularly, he's not a particularly happy person, and it is kind of... uh, it felt like in line for like him to be kind of frustrated that all these people irresponsibly did what they did and put themselves in the situation, put Solus in the situation, put Solus's friend in the situation. And so I was just like, I'm not, I don't feel strongly enough about Solus killing them specifically after everybody else that was killed in this game to get on some sort of moral high horse um, and stop him. Yeah. Ultimately, I probably feel a little bad for them because it's not like that it's not like they know that solace is like the super smart fade expert who is also like redacted um 
You know what he is on because we're mm. not at the spoiler they, territory. They also yet. did a bad thing though. Like oh yeah, they did. And though I think like like there were circle mages. So I'm also like like these are this is how these people have been conditioned. So those are the only possible reasons why I would like stop him from killing them as as well as just the whole like no you don't want to go too far, bro. But that's also kind of moot because I mean yeah. So I probably did let him kill them. Fuck. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> um, <laughs> just the well, realization that I'm not that great of a person. <laughs> I think I think the thing that that highlights it more, and and that you kind of get a sense of in the Skyhold talk afterwards, um, is that it, it it emphasizes how much Solus knows and how little like modern people understand mm-hmm. about how magic works yeah. and about how the Fade works and about how like what the fate is and um that that kind of becomes just a running thread of like he's it's a frustration for him that he has this very like deep understanding of how all these things work and how to prevent harm but he's seeing how so many people are just misusing it for these very prideful gains and these very um self-centered uh, ambitions like I think it, at one point he talks about um, like Deventer mages could be more powerful but they're so focused on trying to kill each other rather than like protect each other from their own worst vices like he he actually said something like that I was like I never thought of it that way like I thought he was going to say like oh they they want to fight each other instead of build each other up but no he's saying like we do need a way to protect each other from our own worst like you know desires our own worst pride um that's facts yeah and hit him like straight up calling it out like that kind of took me back solace solace is a character he um, is such a character like he just he will make you think about this universe and at least if not a different way than like a, a much more developed way than before you knew him he's just so, a marvel of a character I guess the last bit we can talk about before we get to spoiler talk is some of the, um, some of the, let's say, like, romance scenes. Um, romance, romancing Solas is not as, let's say, explicit as other characters. It's not Um, glamorous. It's not. You just got, like, three scenes, and one of them is getting broken up with. So mm-hmm. it's quite a sad state of affairs. Like yeah. I remember as someone who was a professional soulless romancer, <laughs> romance him five times, that's on my certificate. Uh <laughs> yeah, it was so like the jealousy that I felt as my friends romanced Iron Bull or Dorian or literally mm-hmm. anyone else. Like even fucking Cullen, because Cullen and Solus were were not originally supposed to be romances and so they were added later on in development as romances but hey at least cullen fuckers got like a really wonderful time they can even <laughs> get married to him all that yep. i got is getting broken up with like at best and then it just goes downhill from there it's kind of it's not it's not glamorous it's you just got three scenes and that's that's kind of it. it's a it's a powerful romance it's one of my absolute favorites but it's not a glamorous journey i will say so, so there are two aspects of it I wanted to call out. And, like, the first one is, obviously, during one of the 
uh, romance scenes is when you find out about the I'm gonna butcher the name of this the Valisleen the Valisleen oh did I get it right the first time Heck uh, you you uh. were yeah I think so like or you were kind of like Valisleen I, I, I hacked it I hacked it out you know yeah it's, yeah it's, it's, it's my my Texan came through <laughs> that Valisleen the Valisleen y'all. I almost just did a foghorn leghorn impression and that would have just ended this podcast where it was <laughs> um, <laughs> we would have had to cancel it at that point uh, that's the one where you find out that those markings that all the Dalish have as, as Solus tells you and I guess like some important context here is up to this point what we know of Solus is that he travels around in the fade a lot he's kind of I, I guess the the roughest real world approximation of it is that he he like lucid dreams in the fade and so i mean he lives a pretty great life where he's just like yeah so i take naps and hang out with spirit friends and it's pretty rad and i'm like damn solace knows how to live (laughs) (laughs) yeah when he comes back to skyhold after the quest and he's and you're just like where did you go or like what did you do and he's like yeah i went somewhere quiet and i took a nap I was just like, shit, me too, when I get depressed. Hey, like, he understands the, the greatest parts of life. Um, which, that was cool for me. Uh, just, I I sometimes, I'm not like a constant lucid dreamer, but I am like a sometimes lucid dreamer, which freaked me out a, a lot as a kid. Because, I have lucid dreams before, yeah. That's fine. Yeah, freaks you out when you're a kid. Cause Ken, have you done it? Oh. No, no. Damn. There's like... Well, there's, there's like, lucid dreams, which are cool, because you're like, oh, cool, I know that I'm dreaming, so I can, like, fly now and stuff. That's neat. But then you're like, oh, I'm lucid dreaming, and it's a nightmare. That's not good. Um, I sleep paralysis <laughs> monster. Um. <laughs> oh, I've gotten so much sleep paralysis. Solus is my sleep paralysis demon at this point. <laughs> yep, yep. So I was like, cool, an aspect of this character that I never really got into, but I totally, like... I feel this. It's it's. I get this. Um, anyways, I, he because of this, he knows a lot about ancient culture and the way that those things are because he's talked to the spirits and stuff that were from back then, ostensibly. Um, so uh, it's at this point in in the romance one of like I think it's the last romance scene um, where he tells you that those markings yes that you've you've kind of been told were to honor the gods and have been handed down by keepers over the years and stuff like that um and they're all kind of different markings for different gods and all that they were not i mean they did honor the gods but they were put on slaves to be like a marking that the owner respected the gods Mm -hmm. um if i'm getting that completely correct yeah, they were slave markings. Yeah. Yeah. Which it was it was like this extra level of like, oh no, they did honor the gods. It's just that like the people who own the slaves put them on the slaves' faces to show that they honored the gods. It was like, oh, um yeah. okay. So also fun fact, there's no marking for Fenharel. Um just gonna nope. like leave that little one there. <laughs> yeah. Um but it's at this point that, you know, that's like a big revelation uh for your character and you're suddenly like you know at least for me like i'm 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 standing there like i have had this marking that i just thought was really cool and um i didn't really think much about its 
kind of lore and religious tie-ins because my character's not really like that but it still like represents a part of my culture to me and to suddenly realize like dalish culture has played such a game of telephone with the way that things actually were you know ages back that they were respecting a piece of culture that was actually like this terrible piece of ancient elven culture um and proudly displaying it on their faces it's like it's kind of earth shattering (laughs) um yes so then we have the option uh solo says like he knows a spell that will let him remove the markings from your face um ken you've never had this scene um i have yet to have this scene and i'm still deciding what i will choose when i do it um because i have fun fact decided to go down the 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 soulless romance path um Mm -hmm. to see all that stuff through and trespasser and all that um natalie what was what's that moment like for you and like what do you usually find yourself choosing in that moment oh i take them off Mm -hmm. because i feel like i look prettier (laughs) <laughs> that's my whole yeah. <laughs> I mean on one hand I'm like oh yes yeah, so you're telling me all these things and and at this point you know I, I trust him and regardless of whether you like Solus or not he is right in a lot of the things he says like the facts that he knows especially like as a nation elf like those are things that are factually true even though other things that he says are not he's always kind of like saying half truths and half lies or sort of omitting sort of the mm-hmm. full extent mm-hmm. of the truth but but this is very much something that i immediately believed him about and that i don't think the text really gives you any reason to doubt him on um so i was like oh shit yeah slavery that that shit sucks like yeah take them off like fuck, i don't <laughs> want this um but at the same time, I was also like, ooh, I want to see myself without the slave markings. Ooh, I better look prettier. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> so I never keep them on. Uh, when it gets to that scene, I always just kind of take them off. And I like it more that way, but I, I totally get why other people find sort of um, the strength in their Inquisitor reclaiming those marks. Because mm. ultimately, even though Solus is right, like... There is the whole, like, notion of, like, yeah, we can sort of reclaim this or, like, this is mm-hmm. sort of, like, a culture that um, I can learn about, but, like, I can sort of just also be held accountable for in some ways and just sort of, like, reclaim the markings as my own because they've been a part of my life. But I just, I, yeah, I, I totally remove them. Yeah. I think it's just such a moment of... You know, we've gone so many games into the series. We've met so many different characters that have these markings. Um, like, I was suddenly going, like, all these characters, like Meryl and and Zeverin and characters like that who have had markings on their face at some point are all, like, believing this thing that they've been told for forever. And obviously, like, that's not completely unheard of. Like, there have been folklores and myths and stuff like that handed down that people just believe for centuries. I mean... Um, but it was just kind of shocking to have it all revealed all at once and then like it's very shocking also also to understand that like this kind of explains a lot of why solace has and while i was playing the stream today i think natalie you were in the chat while this was happening but i was like 
yeah, I love the Dalish. And Souls was like, you shouldn't. Yeah, he was like, <laughs> are you fucking serious? Do you want to fucking fight? Like, you yeah. fucking idiot. <laughs> um, like, yeah, because, like, I think Eric had looked away for one moment or he wasn't focusing. And so the option, uh, usually the most diplomatic option is sort of the top option. And mm-hmm. so, like, oh yeah, it was something like, like, it was just full agreement or with something or, like, it was just an affirmation. And so I didn't want an affirmation. He wanted you to be like, oh, Dalish, what the fuck? Like, fuckers. No. And he was just like, what the fuck? You idiot. Mm-hmm. Are you serious? <laughs> it was really funny. And Eric was like, oh, shit. Yeah. Just kidding. Oops. <laughs> yeah, I was like, my bad, Solus. I hate the Dalish, too. I was testing you because I hate them, too. I, I love to hate them. Um, yeah, no, it's, it explains a lot of, like, kind of hit where his character is coming from and his frustrations um and the other thing i want to hit before we get into full-on spoiler talk and we can talk a little bit more about that um just his romance in general like can we talked about this a lot in the mass effect side of things where bioware romances tend to be like oh you know you flirt with somebody and then at the end of the game you know you bang them and that's it that's done you got your mm-hmm. achievement thing good job and and dragon age lets you explore more of that Uh, i still feel like a lot of these romances kind of have the big crescendo end at the romance scene for a lot of these characters but uh there are still like scenes that you can have in different quests or just after certain points and all that that kind of expand on characters and let you uh like this the part in wicked eyes wicked hearts where you can dance with different characters and stuff like that um kind of like reinforces who your romance is and lets you have different scenes with them but solace being a character that you really just kiss once and then he just straight up bounces and leaves um you get to kiss him twice excuse you eric wait what's the the other kiss Uh, you missed it today on the stream where you didn't pick the romance option and the fade uh, oh, uh, I could have yeah. kissed him there? Yeah, dummy. And I was mm. like, wait, you're on the romance? Because I, I heard you say, yeah. Uh-uh, he hadn't earned it yet. Um, uh, Eric, I think you might have not been able to do the romance now. Yeah. Uh-oh. <laughs> yeah, it's like three scenes, bro. You had to lock that shit that first But I've been, I've been hitting romance every other time. You didn't just, hit I it there. I just skipped one because he that's, hadn't it. That's the most important one. That's how you started. Uh, they got to be clearer about that shit. Um, <laughs> they were as clear as they could have been. Just they were like last icon. icon. Yeah, there but was a like, whole icon, Eric, and you deliberately like you switched between that one and the most guarded option, and you were like, hmm. Just well, goes maybe, with the guarded option. And I was maybe like, I like playing hard to get. <laughs> well, Soul doesn't have time for that shit. He's got other he, shit to do. He doesn't have maybe time. I wanted to chase it a bit. He's lived for too long for your shenanigans. I don't I don't care who or what he is. He's got to work for it, okay? Like, okay. Mm. Yeah, you're locked out of that, by the way. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So I'm going to have to do some uh, creative problem solving again to fix that then. Um you know, as we are one to do. Look, okay, my 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 inquisitor. Yeah, I'm the inquisitor. I'm the herald of Andraste. Mm. That that is maybe one of my other frustrations, I guess, is if they hand you like five options and like yes, one is pick the bubble heart if you want to proceed with romance. Like that's nice and all, but also 
I guess I go back and forth between feeling like, okay, cool. I know that this means that I'm romancing this character and I want to pursue a romance, but also that kind of takes me out of the role playing a little bit and maybe like kind of streamlines the romance in a way I'm not wild about. Um, it, it does a little bit, but then if you don't have that, you'll get the Mass Effect 1 dilemma where you just stealth romance Liara yeah, or Ashley. accidentally romanced everybody on the ship. <laughs> yeah, so... I mean, Eric, you can only blame yourself here. You were explicitly going between <laughs> the guarded and the big heart icon, and I was waiting for you to pick the heart icon, and you were just like, eh. I didn't, I didn't think I didn't think that this podcast would turn into like what what does Eric continually screw up about his love life? Let's break <laughs> this down. Clarity. <laughs> I mean, maybe Clarity. maybe it's maybe it's for the best because that romance is it, it's it's heartbreaking. Well, so that's that's what I was gonna get into. Is like there's only a few kind of nice tender moments. There's definitely no getting down. And it I mean, ends... there is the implication. So, so the way There's that Patrick, of, yeah, yeah the, the way that Patrick Weeks wrote it was so that in that final scene, um, when he's talking to you, there, there is a line that can be interpreted as you having slept with him or you not having slept with him. Yeah, like it, it is all up to you because for him it was really important for it not to feel like you were taken advantage of because he, you know, he omits the truth and lies and is basically commits, like, a really oh, huge you're, betrayal. Oh, you're talking about the trespasser scene. No, not even. Um, oh, in the last okay. romance scene, there is oh, sort okay. of, like, a there's a line where he... Um, there's you could interpret it as either one and then in the trespasser scene when you're like oh yeah and so he did he the dreadful took me and shit like he was like i would not lay with you under false pretenses you can interpret Mm -hmm. that as like yeah i would not lay with you while being false like i was me like the real soul is me when i lay with you or you can interpret it as i wouldn't lay with you you know while i still like have not told you about this be like my inquisitor and be like you didn't lay with shit <laughs> um, <laughs> um no ma so, she she did she got the she she won she won in the end even though she also lost a lot so i, I, I <laughs> guess say are you sure she won um <laughs> before we, we before we jump before we jump over, okay um would you like there is that last scene that you get if you're like on the friendship path which is where he it ha- has another one of like red flags like oh he is more than he appears to be where he talks about like he asks, he asks you about the mark that we have and, like, have it affected you? Has it changed you? Like, Oh, no, the... I got that scene. <laughs> well, yeah, but, like... <laughs> yeah, okay, so... Now you know. Anyways. Um, so, yeah, and... So you have that conversation, and, like, I, I respond, like, no, I don't feel like it's changed for me. I almost feel like it's kind of, like, a burden on me in general. Um, but it is one of the points where he's, like, he feels very clearly tied to something that he's not explaining to you um Mm -hmm. and uh i I think the conversation goes a little bit differently if you're dalish but since i'm not um it was just kind of us kind of finding that like we had reached common ground and like he said something like you're not what i expected like i he kind of implies that like he didn't really expect to think much of you or anyone you're not a fucking idiot yeah basically that but i i I left that, and that's kind of like the last real conversation you have with him. Um, 
I left that feeling like we had really found common ground and that we were colleagues, I guess, in ways that mm-hmm. I'm... And like, like I said at the beginning of the show, like, and it's a very like scholarly relationship that I don't really have with anybody else in this game. Um, which And that relationship informs the way that things happen for me later. Yes. Now we can so, jump over. Let's <laughs> raise the big old spoiler barrier. If you are playing along with us, if you are playing at the pace we are playing for the show, uh, now's the time to dip out because we're going to start talking full-on spoilers for Inquisition and Trespasser and just about everything that has come out Dragon Age-wise, including Dragon Age 4 teasers, which it kind of feels weird to dance around the spoilers and stuff like this when they are just straight-up broadcasting what is going to happen in the next Dragon Age, but hey, just in case you don't know, it's spoiler talk time. So, um, Solus is uh, Fen Harrell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that was the thing. So oh, obviously that was the thing that I found out before um, the game was released. But it was really... So I'll tell the story of how I found this out. Um, so I very explicitly remember in the days leading up to Inquisition. So you know how at the end of the game, by the time that you do the loyalty quests or whatever, the cards change. Um, and so IGN had uploaded a quote-unquote non-spoiler like 30 mm. minute or 15 minute segment of Dragon Age Inquisition after you finish the game and they're like don't worry this video has no spoilers blah 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 and for all intents and purposes especially to someone who's not as invested in the Dragon Age universe as I am there really wouldn't be any spoilers but I am not that type of person. So when they, uh, in the menu, they, they were like walking around the hinterlands or something. And before doing that, they decide to obviously like pick out the party members and they scroll over Solus's icon and I see the wolf card where it's like peering down at him. And immediately because I had sort of kept it, Fen Harrell was this odd figure that had stuck out to me throughout Dragon Age because there's so much lore it's so hard to just kind of keep track of all of it but Fenharel had really stood out to me because of just the entire story to Fenharel and so when I saw that I was like holy shit no my god and I like absolutely lost my mind and I was like oh my god does anyone else see this like Mm. He's fucking Fenrir, and nobody was talking about it. And I was like, "Fuck, are you fucking serious?" And so I had to wait. And the entire game, whenever he did something even remotely suspicious, I was like, "Oh, Fenrir, you little fucker!" And then when he was actually Fenrir at the end, I was like, "Oh, Fenrir, you little fucker!" Uh, so, yeah, that was the story of how I knew Solus was Fenrir before the game came out. I just sort of recognized the mm. wolf motif and figured, well, there's. They've been consistently adding lore development or like bringing up this figure, this very specific figure in the lore, and so I just I felt like it was like a case sequel type mm. of thing. Right, and I would say that like by the time that I got to the end of this game, and I've primarily been a human ma- or not primarily, I've exclusively been a human mage throughout this entire franchise. So like I have a very specific like background and understanding of this universe and like perspective in this universe so like mm-hmm. i hear these i hear a lot of these things in passing like i know that finharel is a concept i don't know anything about what he is i don't know what the grander implications of solace being that person means um and it, it and 
you know, in my defense, like, a lot of the specifics of, like, the wider ramifications of this aren't brought up until Trespasser. But that was the point where I was like, that, that's, that name is going to mean something to people that have come into this franchise throughout all the games from a very specific perspective that I... It's one of the things that kind of find interesting about Dragon Age, even though like a lot of people would say I'm quote unquote consuming it wrong, but I like that I come from a specific background in this universe where like certain things resonate with me more or less, just because that is where I come from. Um, yeah. But I guess I need to start figuring out. Well, I mean, I kind of know now because the trespasser, but like I need to be more aware of these things going forward because they're gonna probably be what we're really focusing on from here on out. Yeah, and I mean, ideally, you. I hope they also, f- you know, focus more on like the Canari culture. Like, like there's mm, some right, people right. who are really invested in Canari culture and Canari lore. I am absolutely not. Or like things about the Chantry. It's not things about Andraste, and they know like that sort of lore from what we have, like the back of their hand. And you know, like people, different things that you know capture your interest. So like, I don't think right. you're playing it. A wrong way or anything. Right. Just I wanted th- to reassure you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. Think, the thing that Solus does, and we, I think we talked about this in Origins when we did the Urn of the Sacred Ashes quest, was being able to recontextualize these things that we've kind of always heard in passing and just have kind of been accepted mm-hmm. parts of the lore, but now we can kind of see and understand them to a greater detail and also like understand that they are driven by characters and desires and not just like textbook stuff um Mm -hmm. for me it was like yeah when they had the big reveal at the end of inquisition that okay here's solace and oh he did he just kill flemeth oh my god he's got sparkly eyes now and it took me a while to actually go into the wiki and be like well Flemeth is not really Flemeth. Flemeth is kind of like Methal, but not really Methal. And also, like, she's not really dead. She's kind of part of Fenrir. I don't know. Like, I'm probably butchering that right now, trying to explain it. <laughs> no, I think I've got it mostly right, yeah. Um, it's There's, like, a lot of things going on there, and I think it was left off in Inquisition with a very ambiguous note. But then Trespasser comes along, and, like, I was re-watching the Trespasser segments with Solus today to get ready for this episode. And basically the one yeah uh, like the, the one big info dump he does and the way he's talking about like you start to understand what these ancient gods were that they were just kind of really powerful elves like he was and that they just kind of became drunk on power and were abusing it in in different ways and um the the actual death of Methal was like the last straw and Fenharel, I mean, you can draw some comparisons to like Lucifer in a way, or like Prometheus, where it's this like fallen character from the gods that is trying to protect humanity from the from the things that are happening on high, and he creates the veil and he hides them all behind it and locks them all away and um now his whole thing is he wants to tear it back down and make the world new again and it's it becomes a much more interesting thing because it's no longer just this, oh, here's a bunch of proper nouns I don't understand. Like, here's a bunch of names I don't have really any context for Mm. and they're just going to be, like, repeated at me over and over again. Now I understand that they're not just, like, a very 
real thing but they have actual conflict and they're going to actually come into play like they're going to be a part of the story they're not just going to like be there as this set building as this world building like i've never one of the things i don't like about high fantasy writing in general is that it feels like a lot of things get written just to make the world feel bigger and here it feels Mm -hmm. like dragon age is starting to use its larger world building to actually do something to actually tell a story with it uh, and, and get to the point where we are dealing with, hey, here is an actual god. This is the Dreadwolf. Um, he's been in slumber and was the whole reason any of this stuff in Inquisition happened. And now we've got to kind of cope with that. And also, we might have slept with him and he might be in love with us, but he's going to rip our arm off anyways. Did, and I definitely <laughs> am. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's really cool. It, like, it... I mean, we talked about this in our PAX panel that will be going live, but, like, it's what makes Solas such a fascinating character for me is that the way that Trespasser ends, I don't want to, like, gut our Trespasser talk too much, but, like, it ends not with them being like, okay, we're going to go kill this dude. Um, It can end with the notion of, like, we're going to save our friend from himself. Mm -hmm. And, like, the idea that fen harel this like dread wolf god that is turning people to stone and stuff is also this character with fallacies that we can still try and turn back from the brink of destroying the entire world uh god it just it gets me really excited for a new track in age <laughs> yeah i think there's this there's this very evident amount of guilt in him that you you get the sense that he wants you to save him from himself as mm-hmm. well because he he can't bring himself to do it like he's already he's he is already in it you know like he's so far gone he thinks that he tells you even like if you uh <laughs> and this is revealing the fact that i told him i would help him with his plan but if you tell him that you will help him <laughs> with his plan as an elven inquisitor he's like no you can't oh no you're so sexy uh-huh you can't do that because i walk the direction the path only leads to death and so you're like fuck because i wanted to help you I just I swear I just said that to make him feel better. I do not want to like kill all my friends and myself. Um I wanna say, him. Natalie, we understand <laughs> that you are the resident elf fucker, but that is a level. As there are other elves. <laughs> as you understand, I lose my morals when it comes to Solace and other people that I romance. <laughs> but uh yeah, so like when when you say that, he, he clearly expresses that he just thinks that this is going to end in tragedy for him. And Patrick Weeks in a podcast, he also said, like, when he was asked, can, like, what can we expect out of Solace's story and how it ends? And he was obviously very evasive about the question, but he did mention earlier in the podcast, like, this is not a happy story. Like, Solace's uh. story is not meant to be mm-hmm. happy. It's meant to be a sad one. And so I think... There's so much tragedy, not just in the path that he chooses, but also in how he clearly wants to be stopped from it. Like, if there is a way... This is his last resort. If he felt that there was another way that he could handle this, I think that he would. Which is what separates him from Anders for me a lot of the time. I feel like Mm. there's... Or at least, I think maybe the writing is just there for different reasons ranging from the writer that wrote him specifically to 
the size and the way that Inquisition can meet the ambitions of the people working on him and on the rest of Inquisition in comparison to Dragon Age 2's very limited budget and time mm-hmm. in comparison. But there, the writing for Solus shows a level of guilt and a level of nuance that I didn't find in Anders, even though they're very similar characters. And I bring this up because in case anyone who is listening to this um, has not listened to, well, I don't, I think this, yeah, this will go up before the PAX panel, but mm-hmm. uh, yeah, basically I fucking hate Anders. He's my least favorite mm-hmm. character in the series, <laughs> and Solus is my favorite character in the series. But they're both pretty alike, and I think you can make that argument, and I think most people would agree, but I guess for me that's where they differ, and so I just, Solus is just real tragic to me. That guilt that eats at that sad boy, that sad egg boy just makes me want to cook him up and serve him on a plate of happiness and warmth and um (laughs) i won't burn the rest of the world for him maybe sort of (laughs) but i did tell him i would so (laughs) i'll just have to break it to him no i don't actually want to kill everyone for you but i did i did no 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 i didn't consider it anyway I, I was going to say, how many, enough. you keep saying, I, I didn't want to do it, well, maybe I did, but no, but maybe. <laughs> I, you know, when you're in love, um, there's just a lot of things that you're willing to do. Um, I don't know, I just, like, Inquisition, it's it's partly at fault, because that option is like, it has like the star icon on it, and you're like, ooh, that's special. So maybe if it didn't have the star icon, maybe if it had See, like a murder icon on it, like, exactly. yeah. Yeah, I would have been like, oh no, that's so terrible, but it puts a star icon on it, like, oh, you're special, you can say that you destroy the whole world for him and follow him on his path, because you romance him, and I'm I'm just like, yeah, shit, boy, yeah, but uh, I do want to make the statement that I I wouldn't. Good to know. (laughs) Yeah, I think sort of my wrapping thoughts here is like, I think, I really like that, like, as we've talked about, there are so many different kind of, like, really personal relationships you would have with this character, whether it's romantic, whether it's, like, a mentor, whether you're one of the people that just outright hated him, and then you can have, like, this weird scene at the end where he just kind of, like, gives you, like, the TLDR of his plan, and then... It's so fucking funny. I know, it's like... <laughs> he walks through it so fast, he's just like, yep, and this is what I did, and this is what I plan to do, and anyway, your arm, yeah, that shit's killing you. Okay, I'm gonna yeah. take it off now. Bye. Yeah. Deuces. <laughs> he just leaves. He's, his dry sense of humor is so good. Anyway, sorry, yeah. but it's just so funny. But it, that you can have this really personal relationship with an, with an antagonist in a way that I don't really feel like... Sure, like, characters have had, like, personal ties. Like, Hawk has, like, a, a very personal tie to, like, Corypheus in terms of, like, you know, familial stuff with his father. Um, but in terms of, like, a one-on-one relationship where characters, like, have investment in each other's future, I don't think Dragon Age has pulled it off as well as it has with Solus, which means that whatever Dragon Age 4 is, if it's not what it should be, it's a fucking crime, which we will unpack in, like, 10, 15 episodes from now. But <laughs> that I have that strong relationship with Solus in this way that he, you know, he is the antagonist, but, like, I have a personal investment in wanting to stop him because he is my friend. He is somebody that has done a lot for me and, you know, in the course of the Inquisition. And I, I like to think that not all of that was an act. I like to think that that person, that relationship was genuine. It was. I think he, he really makes that clear in the ways that he allows himself to do if you get along with him. And even if you don't get along with him or don't think much of him, I mean, 
there is the fact that, like, the Inquisitor says it themselves, like, we wouldn't have been able to defeat Corypheus without mm-hmm. you, or we wouldn't right. be at Skyhold without you. So, at the end of the day, there is some sort of relationship there, even if it is distant. Like, this was someone who was trusted, if not by you entirely, then by the people that you care about. And mm-hmm. that hurts for them, too. I, I think Cassandra expresses a good amount of hurt over it at one point because she really trusted him and they were together at the beginning um, mm-hmm. with Varric, so... Yeah. It's it's going to be fascinating, like you said, seeing how they carry this into a new Dragon Age and, I mean, just the bits that we've had so far from the little tease we got during whatever Jeff Keeley Summer Carnival uh, <laughs> attraction it was. Um, I'm sorry, I'm so tired from like five plus months of summer gaming that I'm just like, please end it. Do you you think it's ended? I don't know if it's ended. No, Tokyo Game Show's coming up. It's real soon. PAX Online is coming. There's so much. No, it just won't end. Um, No, it's just forever. The summer gaming is forever now. Um, Congratulations, Kenneth Shepard, wonderful news writer. Great. Love my life. Love that for me. It's, uh, but, like, we actually, really, some of the only stuff we got from that was largely centered around Solus and, like, art of Solus and him doing all those weird Derek Zoolander faces, but then, like, the actual line where he's basically, like, threatening someone, being like, they call me the Dreadwolf, what will they call you when all this is over, and... I, I think again and again, I just keep coming back to how wide a range of emotions that Solus can potentially have in a game and how impressive that is in Inquisition that I'd only ever really known him as this very monotone intellectual type who just kind of seemed like he was out there trying to do the greater good, but he could be, you know, this um, Ozymandias, like, you are, you are so beneath me, I'm just going to take your arm and leave, or he could be this really tragic romantic figure and i really hope that if nothing else i really do want them to have the inquisitor play a major role in the next game and have that carry through and have that have some weight um but i also want solace to still have that range open to him and to be that kind of character because it's something that doesn't just merit like it doesn't just make one playthrough better it makes multiple playthroughs better which is another facet of why i think people like bioware stuff in the first place is they like the idea of going back and seeing how choices can change things and seeing how just doing things differently can change things i mean that's we've done a lot of that here on the podcast and i hope that solace remains the just wide range of incredible character that he is and not mm-hmm. just be some corypheus ass villain because i don't can we haven't really talked about corypheus much because he kind of sucks but mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, and, I, and I think the the seeds for that have already very much been planted. Like we've gotten a glimpse of that. Um, can I talk about Tim Winter Nights now? Yeah, yeah. Spoiler Abs- for absolutely. Okay. Yes. Quick spoiler for Tim Winter Nights, uh, the last Dragon Age book that was released, which is an anthology of different short uh, stories taking place in the universe between Dragon Age Inquisition and whatever is coming our way in Dragon Age 
four. Um, but in the last story of Tevinter Nights, which is called uh, The Dread Wolf Take You, um, there is Solas does show up. So basically what happens is that um, a spy of the Inquisition essentially calls for a meeting of Thetis's best spies to share information about Solas and his plans and how they're going. And so they're basically all talking about him and they start accusing each other of lying and the Inquisition spy named Carter eventually realizes that Solus is actually among them. He dressed Aww. up, he dresses up as, he disguises himself as a bard, wearing a dragon mask and long blonde curls. Like, can you imagine Solus <laughs> with long blonde curls? And so he is disguised as this Orlesian bard, and it's so funny, but it's also so, like, it's so it displays the arrogance and the pride that he has like Mm. whether you're in a romantic relationship with him or you really don't have any like attachment to him his character flaws still very much exist just sort of like his arrogance and the ways in which he's starting to act very reckless Mm -hmm. Uh, so like in the meeting after he gets found out he he essentially like he turns one of them into stone uh, just with a touch because he doesn't want to hear him speak anymore um he does pardon uh the agent of the inquisition like he lets her live but he kills uh another assassin and he kills a mortalitasi um the other person in the group and so he basically lets the inquisition agent go because he's like i want you to um you know go tell the inquisitor what i'm up to and he basically expresses that he has no choice but to go through with his plan and that he needs to save the world and i think that that arrogance and that pride is so compelling just because it really transforms him it transforms him from someone who, who who thinks he's really smart but at the same time he knows that he's not as smart as he thinks he is like I, like it the writing really establishes that this is a person who for all his intellect and all his you know, wonderful knowledge of the world. He somehow thought that the Inquisitor, especially in a romantic relationship, wouldn't try to help him, not in, like, achieving his goals, but sort of understand his pain and his plight. Mm -hmm. And he just, he does things without thinking much sometimes for all his amount of thought into everything that he puts a lot of the time, especially into Venture Nights and this story, like you see that he's just being impulsive and he's getting carried away and I think he has spent so many millennia wishing for this that he is starting to unravel and like impatience um but yeah and so he basically says that when he tells the inquisitor and trespasser about his plans he acknowledges it was a moment of weakness and that he's no god but he is prideful and hot-headed and foolish um and he does ask the agent to apologize to the inquisitor and then leaves and i think that's just really heartbreaking i just mm, i really love my egg boy (laughs) (laughs) i just like uh, it's hard for me to talk about him and his his complexities because he has so many i don't know where to uh begin first of all but also just because i i really love him and i think this is such a compelling character and like we've already talked about he's just a primary example of dragon age being at its best and I'm absolutely with Ken, and I imagine with Eric too, I'm just kind of being disappointed that we won't be able to resolve that with 
the Inquisitor directly. Like, I mean, it'll be we, through someone else. And That hasn't been completely confirmed yet. I don't know if I, like... I they basically that, they stated like like soon after that. Inquisition came out they and I don't agree with this but they said yeah it, like in a podcast someone one of the leads said like us cutting off the arm was essentially our way of saying like this is not going to be mm. the protagonist ne- next game and that's that's just always how Dragon Age has functioned and I yeah. unfortunately don't yeah, think it'll it change and it's bad and, and it's terrible. And it's awful. And it's, it's bad, and it's bad. And if you want to know more about that, just come back in 10 or 15 episodes when <laughs> Ken and Eric go off the rails about it, yeah. especially Ken. Yeah, uh, especially but Ken, yeah. yeah, I just... <laughs> I'm, I'm absolutely with Ken on just feeling the disappointment. Like, I've come to terms with it, I guess, but it's... It's just not the same. Like... Uh. Not right. I'd, I'd, hope, I'd hope that there is, like, some sort of reasoning put into it and that's about all i can really hope for or that they they give it some care like i think there were as we'll talk about later in the season like here lies the abyss is maybe like a foundation for what they could possibly do when dealing with previous player characters and all that and Mm -hmm. i'd like to see them potentially expand upon that and because i don't immediately hate the idea of like sending it almost feels like sending you know finishing witcher 3 blood and wine and just being like okay like my Geralt's story is done that's it like it's it's done for Geralt and they can't ever come back to Geralt or like yakuza 6 with kiryu and just being like yep that's it that's it for that character their journeys are done they're going to go do other things maybe i'll see them in other games but my time journeying with them is done um but that's a really tricky (laughs) tricky thing to do right and i think it's actually and they haven't done done it right since yeah it's been done wrong more than it's been done right and um i also i also think there's even if you don't romance him i i wonder what you guys think of this but i there's an explicit parallel between solus and the inquisitor that's drawn in that Mm -hmm. last conversation you have with him in Mm -hmm. trespasser where he goes you know like soul i was solus first Fenheral came later, an insult that I took as a badge of pride, not unlike Inquisitor, I suppose. Mm-hmm. And so I think, like, at least to me, he seems sort of an extreme version of what an Inquisitor, what our Inquisitor could have become in another Absolutely. world if yeah. they went through the same things that Solus did. And so I think that parallel and that relationship just kind of, it, it adds so much there that it's not going to be the same without an Inquisitor as well. Like, you don't need to romance him in order to get that. In another world, Solus was akin to the Inquisitor. He was someone who fought for the people. That's why Fenharel has no slave markings. Like, he wanted to do all these things, and he bore this title that was both an insult and a burden, but also an honor, and now he has been disgraced by that. And the only way that he feels that he can make up for everything is just by undoing all of it in the mm-hmm. way that he can, whether it, regardless of, you know, destroying this current world. Right. Um, and I think that's just really compelling. I wonder what you guys think about that. Cause, yeah. I just, I mean, like, the, the more we go through this season, and especially, like, this episode, and just thinking forward to Trespass, there's, like, it would just be so much easier and simplistic to, like, write the story that is, like, nat- that naturally comes from the conflicts that it, it, they've already brought up. Yeah. And that's yeah. why I'm, like, not only is it gonna be 
a disappointment from that since, like, I want to play as the character that has, like, the attachment to the story. But, like, knowing that they're going to have to, like, mangle that to, like, make it somebody else's story just, like, doesn't leave me without a lot of confidence in that game in a way. Like, I'm... I'm not interested, per se, to see what contrivance they make up to make this somebody else's story all of a sudden. But, like, there's, there's, like, a perverse interest in there. Like, I'm like, how are they going to just absolutely, like, slaughter an entire game's worth of foreshadowing and to make it something else? I think the the one idea that I've I've been thinking about lately is, and I got this because I was re-watching some of the Lord of the Rings extended editions recently. Um, but I was thinking about how Fellowship starts out as like, it's very much Frodo's story, but then they get past the point of Fellowship and it starts branching out into the different parts of the Fellowship as it like branches off and breaks up. And so maybe like, I know Bioware's never really, in recent memory at least, experimented with the idea of multiple protagonists and having that sort of bopping around, but it could provide them the opportunity to like, okay, you know, the big problem is that the Inquisitor probably does not fight as well as they used to, is not like a frontline soldier the way that they used to be. Um, or who knows, maybe they get like a really sick magic mechanical shale-based arm and that would be also yeah. awesome. Please do that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but um, if that's like their, you know, if that's their concern or whatever, like they could still have ways of writing in multiple characters because I definitely think that even if the Inquisitor is not the focus, the Inquisition will be the focus just because it yeah. seems like the most perfectly poised organization to put a player in to be able to have that sort of agency in different areas while still, like, it's a good neutral ground, right? It finds itself mm -hmm. in the middle of fights without necessarily having to take a side right out of the gate, and that makes yeah. it very good for player choice. But if you were to have a story where, say you're playing a lot of the combat scenes and a lot of like the the moment to moment as some new upstart in the inquisition but then you were bouncing out to be like hey you know in this section you're going to now suddenly play as the inquisitor like not just have you know uh -huh. the moment of oh hawk shows up in your game isn't that cool like oh hey no you're actually playing the inquisitor that you made and you're going to play as them for this part that actually means a lot to the inquisitor and oh, take control so of them good. again that would be that'd be really cool like I'd that would be, be fine like that would still keep the core of different protagonists each game but also not sacrifice the fact that this is something the inquisitor should resolve not someone else i mean because people have floated around the idea for a while that it'll be like a spy in the inquisition but i don't think so we've mm. not had anything that leads us to believe that and also it's like if i'm gonna be a spy in the inquisition can i just be the inquisitor like can mm -hmm. I just, you know that's, resolve I mean, that that's ultimately where, where i that's ultimately where i come around on any sort of explanation that somebody's like what if the inquisitor is a companion like or a you know like a party member or something i'm like oh, why don't i just play as him instead he's like he's right there i can touch him he's here in this like major role in the story why can I not just be him instead of this fucking rando? Mm. So there is one other option that we do have that video games have, have taken in the past, which is we like Metal Gear Solid 2 this guy, and you start out playing as the Inquisitor, but maybe you suddenly take control of somebody else because something happens to the Inquisitor. Like, 
I mean, what if they just straight up Mass Effect 2 and then don't Lazarus the Inquisitor and they're just like, yeah, the Inquisitor's dead now. Like, oh that God, character it's just like The Last of dies. Us 2. Yeah. Oh <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, I mean, it's like, I, I think that there are, there's potential storytelling that Bioware could be looking to do that I mean, we are in, like, one of the advantages of the Dragon Age series having this sort of removed status from its protagonist is that it could do something like that. Whereas, like, in Mass Effect 2, it's like, okay, yeah, cool, huh, you killed Commander Shepard, okay, but we all know Commander Shepard comes back. It's, like, really not that much of a shock, like, and really, outside of navigator presley no one actually dies like of consequence dies in that attack so um like they could really take some shots here and i mean it could be good it could be bad but it would be bioware trying something new and i think that more than anything is what i want to see i don't want to see this like very safe let's do dragon age inquisition again like, if they're going to really go the full mile and have a new protagonist, I want them to swing for the fences with it and not just kind of be like, well, we're doing another Dragon Age. Mm. I would rather just they just write stories that are consistent and make actual sense. <laughs> that's that's also fair. I, as long as I see Solus again, which I will. Uh-huh. We, have, we have seen that you will see Solus again. Yes, it is confirmed. And all the different explicitly. faces he can make. And, uh, <laughs> um, well, I think, honestly, I think that does it for this episode. This was a, I mean, this was a predictably long one because we had a lot to talk about with Solus and with all that. And Natalie, I was glad we could have you on for, for one more round of Dragon Age talk in all of this. I can't believe we're already on Inquisition. Like, right? It feels like just yesterday that y'all started this podcast. Well, it doesn't because like you've worked so hard on it and you've gone through like several seasons and games mm. and even switch yeah. series. But yeah, oh, thank you for having me. I'll I'll be here again when we get the next elfin man (laughs) when we get another i mean ken and i have talked about this but i think the general consensus is that even if this podcast is not airing at the time of a dragon age 4 there would definitely be interest in us possibly reviving it if it is not still running just to do a dragon age 4 session in whatever form that takes yeah Um, i don't know and that concept art of the group shot in the dragon age 4 a concept art trailer i saw i saw a dude he he looking kind of fine he looking elven too so i got my eyes peeled as i'm ready I is that hope. the one with the rifle because there's somebody with a yeah. rifle in that shot and i was like okay cool they're just he has long hair let me see he has long hair there's That's a canary lady too and there That's is who... a con- and she's so hot yeah yeah, yeah. that was yeah upsetting but Solus will. I I would like to think that Solus will be my number one always, just because of the ways we've discussed uh, regarding like how important he is to the story mm-hmm. and just how special it's sort of. It's it's kind of weird because like millions of people have played this game and romance it, but it does feel a little special in the way mm-hmm. that he just makes you feel that way. He mm-hmm. he really hits. He hits the spot. He he'd be making me feel that way. Well, so. as 
as always, we are Norm DFM. We are a podcast. We air every week. We also have a Patreon, patreon.com slash Norm DFM, where you can go and support us. Every week, we like to shout out certain tiers that back us at certain levels. And this week, that is Kevin Kulikowski, Chris Johns, Alice Hawk, Colin, just Colin, just Reds, just, and Zach Mickle, and The Wedge of Destiny. Sorry, I'm still not reading that whole name. It's too much. <laughs> um... <laughs> And I guess, so we'll have our PAX panel coming up. I think this will, the way everything is kind of structured is that this episode will go live and then the PAX panel will be next on the feed because that is airing on September 13th. Mm -hmm. Um, And we'll be hanging out in the Twitch chat and doing a little talk about that and all there. Um, You know, we'll be there to for y'all to air your grievances against us as as we rank <laughs> the mini characters and we'll be uploading the podcast feed shortly after the panel ends uh and then next week ken do we have our our guest fully locked in for next week yes we do yes uh we're we will be doing uh a, an episode about josephine the one the only josie with the one the only dj stormageddon uh will be joining us uh i'm very excited about that uh mm-hmm. I, you know, Josie is a character. I even said it in the panel that I'm kind of iffy about where I am on her in this playthrough. I don't think I've ever really clicked with that character the way some other people have, but I'm open to seeing if that changes because uh, she is like a fun character. I, you know, she's mm. exciting to have around, although she's an advisor, which I feel like always, I mean, we mentioned this in the panel, but it's it's hard for an advisor to stand out from the crowd in this game. Um but other than that, I think that's all of our, our housekeeping and stuff. So till next time, Natalie, thank you so much for coming on. And everyone else, we'll see you next week on No Game We have watched and waited. 